Amen. Thanks, Emma. Brilliant. Wow. Great time of worship, wasn't it? Really good to come and be reminded that Jesus is our King. What a great reminder. And it's so easy for us to forget. Well, I think it is for me. Maybe you're not, you don't see it that way. But when we get on with life, it's so easy just to kind of get bogged down in the here and the now. And we forget that Jesus is King. He does reign. He is seated at the throne, on the throne. And he's not taken by surprise. You know, there's all sorts of things that come our way that knock us and shake us. But nothing shakes him. He is the rock. He is the one who reigns eternally. And that's what we're going to be focusing on, really, over this series that we're starting today, is Jesus being king and spelling out to his disciples and to us what his kingdom looks like and how we can live as kingdom people, as people who belong to him. So as we said, we're starting a new series today, um, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And the title of the series is Sitting at Jesus' Feet. Sitting at Jesus' feet. It's an expression used since ancient times to indicate the intimate relationship between a disciple, the learner, and the teacher, the rabbi. They would come and they would sit at the teacher's feet. It was an indication, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to learn from you. I want to grow in ways that are going to help. But it's also an act of worship to sit at Jesus' feet. It's giving him the honour that is reserved for God, saying, I want to sit at your feet. I want to make myself vulnerable. I want to be open to what you're saying. I want to worship you. And it's an acknowledgement that we recognise who Jesus is and that there is something special about him. So that's what we're going to be doing together uh, over the next couple of months heading towards Easter. We're going to be looking at this Sermon on the Mount and gleaning what we can from what Jesus taught his disciples. It follows on from our autumn series that we did looking at who Jesus was. In fact, much of this last Year 18 months, we've been doing lots and lots of coming back to who Jesus is, the way he lived his life, the way he taught, what the Bible says about him. Because we want to be people who are so focused on everything to do with Jesus. We, want to, we don't want to drift, and it's so easy to do so. So this is another opportunity to reset and to come back and align our thinking with how God wants us to live. So as we launch this series today... The title for today is, He Taught Them Saying, dot, dot, dot. And we're just going to, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. We're going to be looking at this sermon on the Mount as an overview. And then we're going to be pulling out things over the coming weeks. So the Sermon on the Mount is something that has been, is probably the most studied and commented on section of the Bible. And that's true throughout church history. In fact, as a church, we've dipped into it over the years uh, a lot as well and looked to what it has to say. And many people consider it to be sort of a moral and ethical framework to live. But it's more than that. It provides an ideal of the good life. And more than that, it's about how we live as kingdom people. How Jesus came to usher in the kingdom and we now live in the good of that. And it's the life that he wants us to have so that we can be fruitful and joyful 
and have life to the full, as he said he had come to do, to bring life in all abundance. So a little bit differently today, we're not good, a lot of the time we're going to have right now is actually going to be hearing the three chapters that we find the Sermon on the Mount recorded in from Matthew's Gospel. But before we do, just a little bit of context. So we will find it in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6 and 7. And just by way of kind of the story so far, if, you've been looking, if you're looking through Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1 is very much about the genealogy, about the family line that Jesus comes from and the announcement that Jesus is going to be born. Then chapter 2, the Magi, the wise men, they come to visit and we have that account that we often hear around Christmas time about the, the wise men coming and asking Herod, where has this king been born? And then they come and they give their gifts to Jesus. And we have the account of Joseph being warned by an angel to take his family to Egypt to escape the threat that Herod is, is giving. And then they stay in Egypt for a while and chapter two finishes with them then going back to their family town of Nazareth. Chapter three, we have John the Baptist as an adult baptising people in the River Jordan and indeed baptising Jesus. And then chapter four, on the back of an incredible encounter Jesus has with the Holy Spirit descending on like a dove and God affirming him, this is my son whom I well love, is sent out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then having spent that time being tested by the devil and resisting that temptation, he steps into his public ministry. And that's what we've got at the end of chapter four of Matthew is him starting to teach and preach and do incredible signs and wonders, healing the sick and, and driving out demons. And so this is where we've got to when we get to Matthew five, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And it, it says, uh, as we'll see when we start to read it, this took place on a mountainside. Now, we're not talking like Mount Everest here. It was a hillside, a mountainside. And it was a place where he gathered, uh, he, he spoke, and there were crowds gathering around to listen. It was probably near Capernaum, uh, on a ridge just to the northwest of the town, and had a magnificent view of the Sea of Galilee. And there's very much kind of a link and a resonating with Old Testament significance, because mountains... Uh, occur various times through the Jewish history. One of the most notable would be on Mount Sinai, where, where Moses is given the law, the Ten Commandments, for the Jewish people to live by. And so it's almost like Matthew is making links there with Jesus being a new Messiah, a, a new Moses, coming in and declaring this is the way that you should live to live as God's people. And he sat down, it said, he sat down. Well, this was very much a traditional thing that would have happened that teachers in Judaism typically uh, taught while sitting down. And this is something Jesus did regularly. He sat down, presumably the crowds then sat down around him. Who was he pitching this sermon to? Who were the audience? Well, as we'll see in the very first verse of Matthew 5, it says that he was talking to the disciples, his followers, the learners, those who had made a commitment to follow Jesus and to find out about him. It wasn't those who were just kind of on the outskirts. 
There's a difference made here between the disciples and the crowds. Yes, there were crowds, but he was particularly aiming his teaching to the disciples, those who wanted to live in a way that honoured God. And the message of this sermon, as we'll see, was centred about this kingdom coming and breaking in. In fact, we get just uh, in chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He was about ushering in the kingdom. He was the king we've been singing about. He is the king, and he came to usher in the kingdom. And this Sermon on the Mount is then, what does that look like about the kingdom coming in? It was the first of five teaching blocks we get recorded in Matthew's Gospel, and all five of these give details about how the kingdom that that Jesus is about to bring in. In this sermon, we learn about the economy, the ethics, and the privileges of this kingdom and its king. We find out how to live the good life, both in the sense of it being morally good and in the sense of it being full, complete, and nourishing. Most of all, we learn about Jesus, his justice, truth, and life. For me, when I think about this kingdom message in the Sermon on the Mount, it very much is like what Paul talks about In Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, verse 8 to 10, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So for me, the Sermon on the Mount is is instructions about how we can live as God's people, as children of the light, living a life worthy of the calling we've been given, as Paul says elsewhere. So that's a bit of the context. That's a little bit about kind of where we're going with this. I think it's about time we hear uh, the sermon said. So I've got some people who are going to help me. Originally, I had thought we might listen to David Suchet's beautiful voice, which you can hear on Bible Gateway, and I would recommend you do that. Um, but we're going to have real-life people here because that's good as well, isn't it? So I'm going to invite Natasha up, who's going to start us off. Hopefully the words will come up here as well, but you can read it. And we're reading from the NIV version. You might have slightly different versions on your phones or you're holding physically. But we're going to start with Natasha, then Jonathan, then Fiona. And, uh, yeah, let's, let, let's wash over us. Let's receive this truth. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the pro- or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not denounce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to those that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation 
on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Wow, there's so much in it there, isn't there? There's so much condensed down into that sermon, so much that we're going to be unpacking over the next couple of months. I hope you're excited by hearing that. I hope you're kind of looking forward to it. I'm sure... You know, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while now, there'll be bits of that you're very familiar with, perhaps bits you're not so familiar with. And we're going to be looking at it and seeking to pull out a number of themes as we do. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at themes of flourishing, reward, wholeness, righteousness, the Father and the Kingdom. And very much looking at how Jesus spoke to his disciples and then to us as his followers now what it means to live by his way of the kingdom and seeing the kingdom breaking in and through us in our everyday lives. I just want to encourage us all as we go into these next couple of months to position our feet, uh, position ourselves to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to what he has to say. I would love us all to take the stance of Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say rather than Martha who was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. It's so easy, isn't it? So easy, the busiest of life. So, well, I must do this and I must do that. Yes, and there are important things that we need to do. But Jesus is calling us and inviting us to stop and to listen, to sit his feet and say, what would you have me know, Lord? Let's take time to be still over these next few months and to ask Jesus, what is it you want to say to me? What do you want me to learn? How do you want to shape me and mould me so that I can live as a child of the light? I want to encourage you to regularly listen to the Sermon on the Mount during this series or to read it you know, get your Bibles out, get your apps out and read it or go onto something like Bible Web Gateway, the website, and you can see it in all sorts of different versions and you can even hear it read. You can listen to David Sushi's lovely voice or any of the other people that are on there. But I just want to encourage you, why don't you set yourself kind of a target of at least weekly just immersing yourself in the Sermon on the Mount and as you do, say, God, what is it you want to show me? What questions come to mind as I'm listening to this? So you come ready and hungry for what he's going to say as we, as we gather and, and look at these words together. You know, maybe you get, maybe you get out a, a notebook and pen and, and jot down some of the things that you're noticing. You might well find there's words that crop up regularly throughout those three chapters of Matthew. Why are they there? You know, ask questions of it and things like that. Dive in a little bit deeper. And maybe, if you don't already... How about considering using this period of time to regularly pray the Lord's Prayer that we see there in the sermon? You'll find it in Matthew 6. You know, maybe make a point of daily praying the Lord's Prayer, either as it is or as a structure to help your prayers. 
And if you're not sure how you could use the laws process structure, I put some sheets, you'll find them downstairs. They're, they're these sort of half A4 about how you can spend time with God in prayer using the Lord's Prayer as a structure. And it just takes it, takes it through. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It talks about how you can come to God and look at, think about different names of who God is and use them as a springboard for worship and adoration. Then the next part, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it gives you, a, pray for yourself that that would be the case. Pray for your family, for the church, friends, work, involvement, things you're involved in for the nations and it talks you through so if you want to use the Lord's Prayer as a structure rather than word for word then there's some pointers there you could use or you could do I think one of the books we've flagged up before is the Max Lucado book uh, called Before Amen um, which again goes through looking at ideas of how you can expand the Lord's Prayer so I just want to encourage you as we go into this series let's position ourselves to sit at Jesus' feet what does he want to teach us? How does he want us to change and grow as we immerse ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount? And I just encourage you to have that question, ask him, what do you want to say to me? Regularly go into the Sermon on the Mount, reading it, listening to it, and regularly praying the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to invite the band back up as we finish. Let's focus again on Jesus our King the one who declared over nearly 2,000 years ago, the kingdom has come near. The kingdom is still here. He's still ushering it in. He's sat on his throne. And as, we, as that scripture we read over Christmas often from Isaiah, the increase of his government will see no end. His kingdom continues to go forth. And we're caught up in that. We get to live as children of light, as people who carry his kingdom. So this series is going to be so good for helping us in that and then being a blessing to those around us. Let's stand and worship our King.